Well, we are talking about gentleness and continuing in our study through The Good Life. It's a series through the, looking at the, the fruit of the Spirit. And today we're talking about gentleness. And there was an arm wrestling match as a staff to see who the two most gentle people on staff would be. And uh, so it's Katie and myself. So you're welcome. And I don't know if they thought I was pregnant, but I'm not. But she definitely is. And uh, so t we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're joining us for the first time or just as a way of reminder, it's a series looking about how God wants to grow things inside of us. And, and for those that are in Christ, that we have the Spirit with us already. And it's just becoming aware of the, the Spirit, of what he's doing inside of us. It's cultivating a relationship of walking in the Spirit with him. And so we're going to look at that together. By no means is this a list of things to add burden to you. By no means is today a, a list of law to add. We're saying we're going to break up with the law and live in a life of walking with the Spirit. And so if you're a guest and that sounds new and foreign, well, welcome to the club. We're learning together. And so we're going to look at that together. If you have a Bible, turn to Galatians 5. Um, and I'm going to read from 5:13 through 26. And we'll talk about gentleness this morning. Sound good? Galatians 5:13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sin nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live in the spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the sin nature, for the sin nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sin nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not know what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Verse 19. The acts of the sin nature are obvious. They're sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have been crucified. The sinful nature with its passions and desires, they're gone. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited and provoking and envying each other. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you for your word that it's active and it's alive and it's applicable to us today. And I pray that by your Spirit, as we learn as those in Christ to walk in the Spirit and live by the Spirit and embrace the freedom and newness that is ours because of the finished work of Christ, that you would illuminate our eyes of our hearts to see your design for us your design for the church your your mission for the church of how we one another each other for the freedom that you bring that is unlike anything we've ever known or experienced help us to see that today help us to understand your heart through paul's writing to the church of galatia and may we be changed from the inside out as a result of our time together in Jesus' name amen Katie, take it away. All right. Dom and I are tag-teaming this morning. Paul in Galatians talks about how he's in labor pains over the Galatian church. So Dom thought it would be great if I were the one who yeah. comes help go teach that. 
Um, so I'm going to start off, we're in the middle of this series, and we've been going through these fruits of the Spirit individually, and I want to step back for a second, not only to remind us of how we got here to this study, but also how Paul got here. Why did Paul start talking about the fruit of the Spirit in this book of Galatians? So I'm going to give like the 5,000-foot view overcap of Galatians and kind of narrow us down until we land on the ground, and then Dom's going to come and take us through gentleness. So Galatians, if you guys have read it before, it's one of Paul's stronger letters. He's definitely feeling a little riled up in this letter. Paul was a missionary. This region in Galatia was one of the churches that he helped start, the churches in that area. And he got word, and you see this in the first couple of chapters, he gets word that some people have come into that Galatian church, and they've started telling the members of those Galatian churches to different advice. And for Paul, it's not just that it's like, oh, I wouldn't have said that, but it's not a big deal. No, for him, it's contrary to the gospel. So in chapters one and two, you pick up on a couple of things. Number one, these people who came in, they were Jewish Christians, they're questioning Paul's authority. And they're saying, you don't really have to listen to that guy. He doesn't really know what he's talking about. What we are telling you is the important thing to listen to. Number two, they were saying to these Christians, who a lot of them were Gentiles, and that just means non-Jewish, they were saying to them, look, if you really want to be part of the family of God, if you really want to be saved, you have to get circumcised. And there are other things about the law that you have to follow. Now, I have never considered circumcision to be a gospel issue. It's not something I've ever argued about in a church. My husband and I don't know if we're going to do it for our son. We have no clue what to do there. But a gospel issue is just a whole nother level. But as you read this letter, Paul becomes, he makes it very clear why to him it's a threat to the gospel. So you go through chapter 2 and chapter 3, and he's both defending his ministry, but also introducing this idea of what the law was, and the law is this concept that came from the Jewish faith all through the Old Testament. We read about it, and it's kind of dealt with in Christ. So he talks about what that was and what it was meant to do, and what the good news of Jesus actually is, and how those two things aren't compatible anymore. So he looks back, and he tells them, I want you to remember something from the beginning. Remember when everything had fallen apart, there was the fall, God and man were separated, and then God stepped in with Abraham. And God in his plan to redeem the earth, and that's not just Jewish people, it included Gentiles too, but in his plan, he said, okay, I'm going to choose this one family, and it's going to be through faith. So Paul is telling the Galatians, look back, it has always been about faith. There has always been a plan that Gentiles would be included, and it's always been based on faith. And he kind of anticipates that they're going to say, well, what about the law? Why was the law there? Isn't that important? We've been doing the law for all of these years, for thousands of years. The nation of Israel was following the law to have some semblance of closeness with God. And I'm not going to go too much into detail about how Paul describes the law, but what he comes down to is it had a couple of functions but the law could not save or change the heart. 
in Galatians 3.21, he says this, For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So he's saying, if you actually look back at our history, the law was never going to work. Any of you guys who have read the Old Testament know the Old Testament storyline, know that no matter how many laws or rules or things Israel could have been given, it wouldn't have changed a thing. They had so many already, all of these ways to follow God and be close to him and respect him, and it wasn't enough. And you get to a really low part in Israel's history, and both Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who are prophets, on behalf of God, they voice that there has to be this future hope. And in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, God says this. He says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So you look back and you get this picture of, oh yeah, the law wasn't working. The problem is that humanity has a heart when we are born that cannot follow the laws of God. We cannot be faithful to him. We cannot fully be who he's calling us to be. And in the Bible, you also see that there's this plan for the people of God to reach humanity. The people of God are always meant to be a light, a beacon, a blessing to the rest of humankind to share his good news. But that was never fully seen through with the old covenant, old heart. So Paul reminds them of that in these chapters. And he says, look, if you are trying to go back to that, it's going to fail you because the law never worked. It never was going to change us. And this is why he's so riled up, this idea of these Jewish Christians coming in and saying, that's great that you have faith in Jesus, but you need to add this on. That's great that you have faith in Jesus, but it's not quite enough. You have to do these things to show him. And Paul is just mind blown that they would fall for it. Because for him, this is the freedom that humanity has been waiting for and longing for. For him, the good news of Jesus is all about life. It's all about this good life where you now have the spirit, you now have a new heart, you now have the ability not only to live the life that you desire when you know and love God, but also to impact the world around you. And you can't do that with an old heart. You can't do that under the law. Jesus came to get rid of it and to die it. And this is why Paul, in Galatians 2, this is a verse that most of you probably know, but it's so good to hear it in the context of this story. Galatians 2:20, he says, I have been, actually I'll go 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So for Paul, it all comes back to, he's new. 
He's new, that's his identity. And so when he gets to the chapters, like chapter five and chapter six, if you read any of Paul's letters, there's always the first part that's telling you some identity information that's really important. And then he gets to some chapters where he's calling you to some stuff. And if any of you are like me, you read the chapters that are like calling you to a, a life of living the Christian faith in a certain way and you think, oh, this, this feels like law. This feels like things I have to do or God will be disappointed in me. And the reason Paul starts off so strong is because he's going, no, that's not the point. The point is if you have faith in Christ and you are in him, you are a new creation. You have been given the spirit and you have freedom to live that life. And so we get to chapter five, which Dom just read from. And he says that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And I think one of the reasons we wanted to revisit this is because when we talk about gentleness today, which some of us may struggle with, I know when I look at the fruit of the Spirit, there are some things that come a little more natural to me because I hate confrontation and I'm a peacemaker. I'm just like, got that one, check. And then there are other ones that it's like, oh man, self-control, especially as a pregnant woman, I don't have it. I'm struggling. I eat more ice cream sandwiches now than I ever did when I wasn't pregnant. Come on. There's some I look at and I just, I can feel that burden of, how am I supposed to do this? This is so hard and I don't want to let God down and all this stuff. And Dom and I were talking earlier and it's almost like there's this high calling in Christianity, but we've been given everything that we need. Paul ends the letter. I, I love this verse that he says in 6.15. He says, For neither, circumc neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. For him, that's what it all boils down to. When we talk about gentleness, when we talk about joy, when we talk about faithfulness, all these things, we have to step back and go, okay, do I remember the bigger picture here? That from the beginning, God wanted this to happen through faith. That from the beginning, he wanted me, a Gentile, I don't know how many of, in, of you in here are Jewish. I assume probably not many, but for those of us who are Gentiles, we've been included in this family by faith. And I don't have to live out of an old heart. I don't have to try to do this out of strength that I don't have. I can wake up in the morning and remind myself, I'm new. I have the spirit. I have something that wasn't there before. And so let me look at gentleness and see what it looks like to live that out through the power of the spirit. And we're gonna have Dom come up. Maybe we could stop right there, really. <laughs> I should have gone first, Katie. That was good. <clears throat> I was in eighth grade, and I uh, had long hair, was a surfer, skater kid. I was um, very obnoxious. I was very haughty. Um, I was very full of myself. And I walked around like big man on campus. You see, as a seventh grader, I, I came on campus, and I only knew one, two guys, and they were from my youth group. And they happened to be the two most popular kids at school. So instantly, I was surrounded by all the cute girls, all the popular people. I was in the in crowd. 
And when they graduated, they were a year above me, they graduated and I became that guy. And so I lived fully self-absorbed in all the things that I cared about, which uh, was girls and popularity. Basically, that was my life. And I had a teacher, Mr. Camara, Dominic Camara, and he was my history teacher. And he was seeing me and observing me, and one day he pulled me out of class. Mind you, not the class that I was in. He went out of his way to find my class schedule and pull me out of a class of another teacher to have a talk with me. And he pulled me out, which was or unusual, and then he took me to the eighth grade lawn, and for about 15 minutes, he laid into me. You see yourself as this. I see you walking around. That's not who you are. You think you're this, you think you're that, and I'm here to tell you you're not. But I see you. And I see the potential that you have. And I see if you could harness that in a, a good way that it could be used for good. You could leverage all these things to better your class and, and better yourself and, and be a more contributing person to society. So Dominic, wake up. You're an idiot. And you're acting like one. Here's the hall pass. Go back to class. I'll see you at fifth period. As an eighth grader, I thought, what a jerk. The audacity to pull me out of a class that wasn't even a class of his to have that talk with me. And as I process it as a young 13, 14-year-old kid going, what the heck just happened? I realized that was God's grace in that moment. Now, I don't know if Mr. Kamara was a believer or not, but what he did reminds me of what gentleness is. As we look at the word gentleness this morning, as we look at Paul's letter to Galatians, as Katie said, he's, he's kind of infuriated. He, he, normally, he has a really nice welcome in his letters to the church. Oh, I think of you often, and I, my heart leaps for joy with you. This one's just like, hey, guys, here's the deal. And he's mad. How dare you, like, how dare you complicate the gospel? How dare you add to things? It's, law is gone. There's freedom. It's Christ and the sufficiency of Christ alone. This is not who you are. You guys are debating about circumcision, uncircumcision. You're adding to what the gospel is. It's not who you are. Wake up. Stop it. And the fruit of the Spirit, as we think of the Greek word, it's protas. You'll forget that after I said it, but it sounds fancy when I say it. But it's a twofold thing. When we think of gentleness, we think of soft and mild, and, and meek, and lowly. It's the twin of humility. Oh, that's just the most humble, meek person. They're going to inherit the earth someday. They're so sweet, and kind, and even-tempered. And, and Paul uses that word, and it does mean that in part. And so you think, Mr. Camara, how is that mild, and meek, and soft? But the other part of that is it's it, mildness, or meekness, or gentleness, however your Bible translates it, protos. It means living in the balance of two extremes. So it's not angry all the time, but it's also not ever getting angry. It's a divinely balanced person, meaning that you can't do it apart from the work of the Spirit. It's a divinely balanced person that is living in that tension that gets angry at the right time in the right way in the right measure. Gentleness. 
Mr. Kamara was balanced in that. He was gentle with me. The second part of this, I, I can receive that. The second part of this that was hard for me to receive in studying is this. Gentleness also means being okay with God and his plan and purposes and trusting that his plan is good. So the gentle person is one who is in undesirable circumstances and yet content, trusting that God is who he is and he's sufficient enough to get us through that moment. So mild and meek and balanced divinely and also I'm okay, God, with whatever circumstance you put me in because you're going to resource me in that. Gentleness. It's not weakness. It's not cowardly. It's not apathetic. It's strength reserved. It's a word that was used to talk about the taming of an animal. An animal that was so unruly that it was tamed so that it could be free of destructive habits that would remove it from living in unity with another creature. And Paul says the work of the Spirit as we walk in the Spirit produces that. This is true for you today, believer, that because of the Spirit that's in you, gentleness is part of who you are. Because gentleness was an attribute of Jesus. Paul is no doubt thinking of Jesus' example of gentleness. Jesus comes in a lowly way. He fulfills prophecies by coming as gentle and lowly. He leaves the throne of praise surrounded. Holy, holy, holy are you. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you. To come and be despised and rejected by his own creation. To not come as a king, but to come as a lowly, suffering servant whose mission statement was to save and seek that which was lost, to, to not be served, but to serve. He loved taking the name Son of Man over Son of God. He, he loved his creation. And so the gentle king lived lowly among his people. He actually said about himself as a teacher, he said, take my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. Jesus embodied gentleness. As I was thinking of how he did that throughout his ministry, certainly we see him healing people and, and raising the dead and feeding the hungry and, and having compassion on people. But in John 8, one of the most staggering accounts of him being a gentle judge is he meets a woman who's been caught in the middle of adultery. Right out of the bed, she's ripped. And religious leaders throw her to Jesus' feet and say, this woman was caught in the middle of adultery. What are you going to do about it? And they keep accusing her, and there she is, just naked, maybe wrapped in a sheet, just humiliated, dehumanized right in front of the king of kings. And Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, just writes in the sand and just listens. We don't know what he writes, but what we do see is that he comes to the conclusion, you who are without sin cast the first stone. And one by one they leave. And the gentleness of Jesus in that moment, the gentleness of Jesus to say, I see you. 
Where all others saw you as the sin that defined you, I see you as the person before me. Where are your accusers? They're not here, sir. Well, I don't accuse you either. But the stern statement, go and sin no more. Jesus expressing gentleness. He could have easily picked up the stone. He could have easily gone to the extreme of do nothing or be righteous in his anger. And he chose as a gentle judge to treat her like a human. But call out sin and say no more. Live the new life that was created for you. He does again with the woman of questionable character in Sychar, the woman at the well. She's out in the middle of the day getting water, which means that she was trying to avoid community around her. She was with her fifth husband, and she has a theological discussion with Jesus, who a rabbi would never talk to a woman, and he would never talk to a Samaritan. A good Jew would know to walk around Samaria, Jerusalem, Samaria, and Judea. They'd walk around to strategically avoid those people. They were mixed blood to the Jew that was a no-no. And Jesus intentionally goes there, shows and displays gentleness to her, invites her into true worship of the King of Kings. And she becomes the biggest evangelist in her community. The gentleness of Jesus. We also see gentleness displayed when Jesus goes into the temple and sees that it's turned into tax collectors in a marketplace in his father's house. And he begins flipping tables and whipping. What are you doing in my father's house? This is not what this place is for. This is not who you are. This is not what it's supposed to be. Gentleness of Jesus. To call out, come to right thinking again. Pharisees, how dare you? You whitewashed tombs. That would be like bleep, bleep, bleep. It'd be all bleeped out. You bleep, 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 and then you you whitewashed tombs, you hypocrites. As you pray, he uses the word actor, hypocrisy. You're actors out there it's pretending to be all holy, putting more burden onto people. That was never Yahweh's design. That is not the heart of God. Gentle Jesus, how dare you? How dare you? The gentleness of Jesus in being in undesirable circumstances, an active and deliberate acceptance of that. His incarnation, leaving praise to come and ultimately be despised and rejected. In the garden of Gethsemane, praying and sweating blood, Father, if there's any other way, it, I know you and I are one and we've talked about this and but if there's, if there's another way we could do that, let's do that. But, but not my will, but your will be done. This is not the circumstances the most comfortable. I, I know what's coming ahead. I, I know that in a moment, one that I love has betrayed me. and I know I'm going to be beaten and, and marred and despised and rejected. And, and Isaiah's fulfilled in 53 where... Where I'm going to be like a lamb led to the slaughter and I'm 
not going to be recognizable if I'm a man. That's how, how far I'm going to be beaten. And they're going to pull out my hair and they're going to put a crown on me and they're going to whip me until my organs and back are exposed. And, and then I'm going to hang on this cross that's meant for a criminal. This is uncomfortable. But, but Father, I accept it. Because I, I know the end result. The gentleness of Jesus to hang willingly on a cross for you and me. The gentleness of Jesus to conform and be at the will of the Father is a model for us. As Paul's writing and thinking of all these examples of Jesus' gentleness, as he's informing the believer of this is true about you, you have the fruit of the Spirit. Because the Spirit is in you. Now, because of the death, burial, and resurrection, we have newness of life in Christ today, right now. Paul writes in Ephesians 1 that we're sealed with the Spirit, that he's, he's, he's our mark of, he's the king's insignet ring on us that says, property of Yahweh. And in that, it marks the inheritance that awaits us. This is true about you. Goodness is part of you because what's true about Christ now because we've been crucified with him is true about us. We are made right because of the righteousness of Christ. Christ embodying gentleness is now true of us. Gentleness is there. We have all the resource we need by the Spirit. Walking with the Spirit is the goal now. And in our freedom, Christ says this to the church. How are you to express gentleness? It goes like this. The next verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, or better translated, you who are benefiting from the, the grace of the Holy Spirit, restore him gently. Same word. Set things right. Remember the woman in John 8? Brothers, sisters, you who are benefiting from the Spirit of God living in and through you, restore others gently. In the balanced, divinely balanced measure, restore him gently. Philippians 2, he talks about this. He says, think of others as better than yourselves. And here's the example. Christ, who is equal with God, decided to empty himself of that. Fully God, fully man, embrace his humanity all the way to the death of the cross. Church, that's how you are to one another, each other. Walking in the spirit, now you do that with each other. Consider the needs of the person around you as better than yourselves. Ephesians 4, 1, 2, he talks about the body being one. And there's many parts in the body that contribute to it. And he starts by saying, pursuing unity with gentleness and humility. We're to one another each other. As Katie just talked about, this multi-ethnic family of families that God has now created, that we've been adopted into the family of God. I've never met a family that got along perfectly. Have yours? Do you always get along with your wife or your husband or your brother? or your sister, or your cousins. No, there's some family drama. 
You got a weird uncle in the family, right? You might be the weird uncle. I don't know. In the family of families, he's writing it to say, you're not doing it. That's why I need to encourage you to do it. This is true of who you are. You're living at odds with each other, and I'm saying that's not who you are. Wake up. Come back into right thinking. This is true of who you are. As those marked and sealed with the Spirit that live in Christ and Christ in them, gentleness is your pursuit. Gentleness is your new operating system. Gentleness is true of who you are today. And the unity of the church is so important in all the letters post-resurrection to the church because it's our influence to the, the world around us. It's our testimony. It's our testimony of our transformation. As we one another each other, as we exhibit gentleness to one another in love, in humility, in step with the Spirit, the world takes notice and goes, huh, look at that. That's different. So we know how to be all about ourselves. We know how to build our own kingdoms. We know how to push others out of the way. We know how to have fits of rage. We know how to not think about the needs of the person in front of me. But to see a group of people marred by the resurrected Savior, sealed with the Spirit, not always getting along, not always thinking the same. Unity is not uniformity. There's a time to divide and decide and, and make decisions about things. There's times to take stances and operate in gentleness to flip over tables. And there's times to exhibit gentleness by just being meek and mild. But as we do that with one another, the world goes, huh, maybe Jesus is real. In 1 Peter 3, he writes that, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have when asked. And when asked, you're to do it with gentleness humility and respect. So one, it presumes relationship with the non-believer, those who don't believe in Christ, because why in the world would they ask you if they didn't know anything? And they're seeing whatever you're on. Wow, look how they're being gentle with each other. Look how they're loving one another. Look how the, f they wouldn't have the language, but look how the fruit of the Spirit is being exhibited inside of them. I need to go ask them, Richard, what's the hope that you have? Matt, what's the hope that God, what's the hope that you have? And when we do that, we don't proselytize and Bible bash and blah, blah, blah. It's gentleness and respect. And the world takes notice. For the glory of God, the church displays the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the love that is true of Christ, that is now true of us. So today, church... As the worship team comes back up and we sing one final song, the exhortation is this. Would you come back to right thinking this morning? For those in Christ, what's true about you is you're new. You're a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. What's true about you this morning is that you have the Spirit of God inside of you, living and expressing himself through you.
that as you cultivate this life of walking in the Spirit, we have freedom to decide not to or to walk in the Spirit. So the encouragement is to walk in the Spirit. It's an about face to change your mind. Say, today I walk in the Spirit. In this situation, Spirit, I need you to help me. I'm struggling in this moment to express goodness, to express gentleness, to express faithfulness. Would you teach me that divine balanced living? Would you teach me how to one another the person that I disagree with in this moment? Would you teach me in this moment where I want to wrestle and be like that caged animal frustrated with you because of the circumstances I'm in? Would you teach me that the song that we had just sung, that all my life you've been faithful, all my life you've been good. I can't sing that song out of faith. Because I could say, actually, I could come up with a list of things where you haven't been good, God. I actually disagree on these things, and I want to air my grievances towards you. But by the power of the Spirit, I'm trusting today that you are good. In this moment, I'm trusting that you're good and you have a plan. Would you break up with law today, church, and embrace the law of love, being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit? May we embrace unity and pursue it at all costs so that the world may know that we're his and come to a saving knowledge of him. And finally, for those in this room that may not be believers or putting your faith in Christ, the law is what you live under today. And it's crushing. And it's unattainable. You will always be in frustration. You will never hit the mark. You will never be good enough. You will never have enough good deeds to attain and arrive at achieving law. So this morning, I encourage you to place your faith in Christ. To trust in his life that he was the one that lived the life we couldn't live, died the death that was meant for us so that we could have life, the good life, living in step with the Spirit. I'd love to talk to you about that. There's plenty of people in our church I'd love to talk to you. Katie would love to talk to you. Mo. We'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to live in faith and take that step of faith. Is that good news for you today? Is the gentleness of Jesus speaking to your spirit this morning? Does it inspire you to say, that's true of me today. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. I hope so, church. That's your takeaway. Walk in the Spirit. Would we stand? Let's sing one final song together, singing of the goodness of our God. That line about surrender hit me. I feel like that is life in the Spirit. It's an invitation to surrender. And it's not always easy. Uh, the, literally two minutes before I was leaving this morning, I got a text about a children's ministry thing that was falling through, and my cat sprinted in the door under the bed right as we were trying to leave. And I'd like to say my response was immediately gentleness and peace and all these things, and it wasn't. But when we got in the car, I sat, and I thought, oh, 
why are my first responses not that? And I felt this invitation. It's like, Katie, you've been up since 3.30, reading these things, remembering. It has to be by the Spirit. Remember who you are. And then I felt that peace. But it had to be this surrender. Again, the life of following Christ is a high call, but it's one he's given us everything for. So as you go look at your life this week, look at the people around you, look at the things God has put in front of you. Ask God, what does surrender look like for me? How can I live with the fruit of the Spirit that you've already planted in me? So thank you for being here this morning, Seacoast. It is a joy to see you all. Go be the people of God to the world around you. Amen? Have a good morning.